You're listening to the Westchester 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 Church Podcast. Gosboy Click. Well, this is a week and this is a text that I have known has been coming ever since January when we began going through the Sermon on the Mount. And all week long, I have had the biggest knot in my stomach leading up to this message because I'm the kind of minister and theologian who aspires to live every syllable that I proclaim up here. And yet, what our message is this morning just so happens to be my single most greatest struggle as a person in life. And that is Jesus saying, do not worry. And I mean, it's ridiculous that out of everybody in this church that the least qualified person is going to be speaking about this particular topic. I mean, me telling anybody not to worry. I mean, it's like a, it's like a leper judging a beauty pageant. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And yet that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. That is what is so beautiful about the Sermon on the Mount, where every single time that we read it, Jesus is welcoming us all to become brand new. And so as we read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, I just want you all to know that it's the same as any other week, only times 10,000, in that I am in spirit sitting right next to you at the feet of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they do not sow nor, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they are? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, that they do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you, that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you of little faith? And so do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. For your, he- for your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. And then Jesus says, and so therefore seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Then Jesus says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Now, as Jesus says, do not worry, that is a very old word, which means that that a person is being choked or suffocated by something. That word anxiety means usually intense fear and intense insecurity about a day which, which may or may not ever come, about the future. And so anybody who has ever spent any considerable time in worry or in anxiety knows that, I mean, this is a strangulation device of the human spirit. 
This is a parasite of the soul. And this is why Jesus is emphasizing this as strongly as he is. I mean, he spends a great chunk of the Sermon on the Mount saying, do not give in to this thing called worry. The reason why I say this is because notice how he keeps repeating himself. He says it three different times. Verse 25, do not be worried about your life. Verse 31, do not worry about your necessities of life. And then at last, verse 34, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Over and over again, Jesus is saying, do not worry. Do not worry. Oh, and by the way, while you're at it, don't worry. And for people like me, our Bibles may, might as well say that after Jesus said it on the third time not to worry, then Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Am I speaking Chinese? I mean, that's what it's like as he, he tries to get this through to me. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. In other words, what he's saying is what? He's saying, I've got you. That I'm with you. And I'm not going anywhere. I mean, peace is what comes natural to Jesus. And I mean, if there were a theme song to this section of scripture, it might sound something like this. As a result of copyright arrangements, I cannot play the music that I played in person. It was Bob Marley, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. That one. Man, I love that. Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. I mean, that is the way that Jesus lived in this world. Every single moment of his life. That's what comes natural to Jesus. And I wish so bad that's what came natural to me and to you. But, but that is not at all what comes natural to us, is it? In fact, if there were a theme song to what comes natural to you as well as to me, maybe it would sound more like this. Because of copyright arrangements, I cannot play. Oh, freak out. I mean, that's what comes natural in my life, at least. I don't know about you, but that's what comes natural in my life. I mean, we freak out about the tiniest, most minuscule things in this world sometimes. See, it is in our very nature to freak out. I mean, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience here. And so they would have known what the backstory of their ancestors was. As, as God through Moses says, let my people go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, okay, at last I will let you go. But just as they, they reach the Red Sea, what happens? Pharaoh has a change of heart. He catches up to them with his army. And as soon as God's nation sees them coming right on, on their heels, what do they do? They freak out. Exodus chapter 14, I'll just paraphrase. I mean, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Moses, we told you that this would happen. It would have been better to have just stayed in Egypt as slaves than to die right at the precipice of the Red Sea. I mean, this is what anxiety does to us right here. Where we're so busy looking at our problem that that we're not even aware that, that there is a living God that is looming high above whatever is scaring us in the heat of that moment. Well, a little bit later on, as the Israelites have been rescued in, in dramatic fashion by God, God does the impossible, parts the Red Sea, but, but the very moment that the Israelites begin feeling hunger, what do they do? They freak out. 
Again, paraphrasing Exodus chapter 16, Moses, it would have been better if we had just died in Egypt as slaves. Oh, at least we had food when we were in Egypt. You brought us all the way out here with our children just so that we could starve to death. They're freaking out. This is what worry does to us. It gives us amnesia about all the ways that God has come through for us in the past. Well, we fast forward much later on in the history of Israel, and they, after all of those years of wandering, they are on the brink of entering the promised land, and it is a wonderful time, but the report comes back in the book of Numbers. Well, this was wrong, and that was wrong. Oh, by the way, we saw giants walking around there, and what do they do? They freak out. Why is God bringing us all the way out here just so that we could fall by the sword of these giants? They're going to take our children as slaves. Let's go back to Egypt and be slaves there. And they make a snap decision that we're going to go all the way back into Egypt and return to them as slaves. This is what happens when we freak out. Rather than saying God has gotten us through this and God has delivered us there and God is not going to let us down, what the attitude is and what the perception is, God, what have you done for me lately? The very moment that our lives become uncomfortable, so often we freak out and we resort to worry and to spiritual paranoia. And yet, as it is with the apostles... Really, before we write the Israelites off, and we begin feeling as if we are, are, are much godlier, much wiser than they are, I've experienced for myself in my own life, just wait until your bank account is overdrawn, and you got bills overdue, and your car breaks down at the same time. I have, later on, have, have discovered that, that in these moments, 99% of the time, I am freaking out just as much as the ancient Israelites freaked out. And I mean, this is not easy, what Jesus is saying here. I mean, nothing is easy in, here in the Sermon on the Mount, because it doesn't come natural to us. Jesus is inviting us to slowly but surely transform us in his likeness. But I mean, we're living in one of the most scariest times in the history of our country. And so often what we do is we, we freak out. And I see it every four years in the American church where, where any time that we have an election in this country, it doesn't matter who is running for president. It doesn't matter who we decide to, to elect as president. Half of the American church is ecstatic. This was God's choice. Great days are ahead. Let's have church tomorrow. And yet the other half of the American church is, is acting as if there's not a God in heaven anymore. Acting as if the, you know, the whole entire world has come to an end. I mean, watch. I mean, next year, no matter who is elected, no matter what happens, you're going to see people freaking out. Yet this also is a very scary time, though, because it seems like every other day that we watch the news, we, we have another mass shooting that, that we're being, or that we're all hearing about. I mean, you can't even go into Walmart anymore without the possibility of it turning into a war zone and getting shot at as you shop for your groceries. 
And yet Jesus says to a people living under Roman occupation, and he says to us this morning, do not worry. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. But also what he's saying in so many other words is there is no reason for follower minds to ever remain in a state of anxiety. And as a minister who has an anxiety disorder, as a people living in a very scary and tumultuous time, I mean, our question is, okay, that looks nice in the Bible, Jesus, but how? How in the world can we live and not worry in a world like this? And what Jesus says is so simple that it seems too good to be true, but as a recovering chronic worrier, I am here to tell you that this really, really works. Jesus recommends a few things, and the very first thing that he recommends is simply yet profoundly, go outside and look around. I mean, that's it. Just, just go outside and look around. Jesus says, go bird watching. Stop freaking out. Stop worrying. Take a deep breath. Be silent. Go to the park. Or go into your backyard. Or just pull up a chair and, and look out a window for half an hour. And just silently watch and listen to the birds. I mean, birds are very calm, peaceful creatures. They've been here much longer than we have. And yet they live such a simple life. Notice how they do not store up treasures for themselves. But all they do is just fly and they nibble at seed and they, and they sip at water and they fly and they nibble at seed and they flit. And they have another sip of water and then they soar in the sky. And I mean, they are entirely dependent upon having enough just one moment after another, one moment at a time. And any time I, I feel myself worrying myself half to death, and I do what he says, I go to the park and I watch the birds. It's as if I am watching a metaphor of myself and of the world unfolding before my eyes. And the birds are the ones playing our roles about here is how you should live in terms of anxiety. But Jesus says much more than that, though, about the birds. Because notice he says that, he says, your heavenly father cares and provides even for these seemingly worthless birds. He says later on in this very same book of Matthew that, that he says two sparrows are sold for a penny and yet God cares so much about them. How much more does he care about me? How much more is he standing by ready to provide for you? Jesus says go bird watching and then, then he also says look at the flowers. Notice how they have received all of this rain. Well, unless you're, you're um, in Phoenix, Arizona, but, but in a place like this, I mean, you can look at all of these fields. You can see the grass and the flowers. You can see God is giving it so much sunshine and rain, giving it all the, all the room in the world that it can bloom and flourish. Jesus is speaking about our everyday necessities, and he says, I know that you have these needs, but, but do not worry about them. I, I've got you. 
And I love so much a quote by Martin Luther as he says that it is a great and abiding disgrace that a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher even to the very wisest of men. If you feel yourself being consumed by anxiety or by despair or by worry, don't make a preacher the very first place where you go. Go to the birds. But, I mean, as... I mean, so often as we live, our minds resemble a traffic jam in Manhattan. I mean, just looking at this picture in Manhattan, it, it makes my, my whole head want to explode because I can just hear all that honking and all of that screaming and just angry people leaning on their horns. And I mean, that is how I have mentally and psychologically spent most of my life. What Jesus is saying is get out of Manhattan and go to the beach. I took this picture at Daytona Beach, Florida, just before we had moved here. And anytime that we are at the beach, I mean, you just close your eyes and you can hear ocean waves slowly rocking back and forth. You close your eyes and you can feel that warm ocean breeze brushing up against your face, but but what Jesus is saying is that psychologically speaking, go to the beach and do not leave. Bring the beach with you everywhere that you go. And I love so much a scene that is in Godfather 2, where in this scene, there is a flashback moment in the life of Vito Corleone. And it's in the early 1920s and, 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 and Vito has just lost his job. He has a wife and an infant son that he, he is to provide for. And, and know that as this scene unfolds and he walks into his house after losing his job, he knows that it's a possibility that he could very well be evicted from his apartment. He doesn't know where his next meal after that night is coming from. And notice how as he comes home, all that he has that they can eat that night as a family is one single pair. I, I absolutely love that scene. I mean, every time that I watch it, it just brings tears to my eyes. And that's just something that I love so much about our great-grandfather's generation. Where you have this very beautiful moment of a husband and a wife, and it's like, I, it doesn't matter that I just lost my job. All that we have is this moment in time right now as a husband and a wife and even though I no longer have a job tonight, I, we still have each other. I mean, what a beautiful attitude. It's not, oh, we, we have nothing to eat tonight. It's, oh no, we, you, know, you just lost your job. But rather, what their attitude is, what, 
a beautiful pear you just brought home. And he eats half of it and she eats the other half and they, they are just ecstatic to be together. You see, this is a reminder as Jesus says this. I mean, life is not about what, what is for our dinner tomorrow night. This life is not about what we're going to wear next week. It's not about keeping up with the Joneses. It's not even elections. But rather what Jesus is saying is that this life is about being more like Jesus than we were an hour ago. So Jesus says, go outside and look around. But, but he also says, when, when we feel ourselves being worried, remember who you are. Remember who we are. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, Jesus says, Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after all of these things. Now once again, Jesus is speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience. And so as Jesus says Gentiles here, what he's speaking about is the world that, world that does not yet know God. A modern day phrasing of this would be, this is what the atheists do. I mean, if you do not know God, you should be worried. You should absolutely be anxious. But what he's saying is that if you are a follower of mine, you have no reason to be worried about anything. And as a person who is... Who is lived almost my entire life in a state of worry and anxiety. I never would have intended for this to happen, but, but I've discovered what it does is that it distorts my message to the unbelieving world. Where what the message I have been conveying is, well, Jesus is, well, he's just okay, I guess. He's just kind of, well, he's sort of reliable, but eh, not really. As we saw a moment ago, Israel forgot over and over again God had delivered them, rescued them, provided for them, gave them water out of rocks, parted seas for them, moved heaven and earth for them, gave them fire by night. They forgot all of that when they were worried. And when we are consumed by anxiety, we forget. Well, a person might say, well, David, what about being responsible? What about being concerned about our lives? I mean, it, God wants us all to be very concerned, doesn't he? And to care. Well, when we moved to, to Mocala, Florida many years ago, I, at first I was very confused by all the Christians who, who had all this water stored up in their garage. And I just wondered, I mean, just trust God. And yet, a few years later, as a hurricane hit, and, and all the supermarkets were completely out of water, and on the news, there had been a person who had killed another person for the last couple of cases of water, then all of a sudden, I realized, well, that's actually wise. Sometimes we need to be prepared for things, but at the same time, once that hurricane hits, you can only prepare so much. Jesus is saying that eventually, and almost always in this life, there, there are going to be so many things that are just simply out of our hands. And what I'm going to need you to do, Jesus says, trust me. Put your trust in me. Another person might very well say, well, well what about troubles? Jesus says not to worry, but he's also not, not exempting us from, from having hardship. And that's true after all, but Jesus says in another place that, that, listen, in this world, you will have tribulation. 
And yet then what does he say after that? He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. All right, well, yeah, but what about our safety, David? You just mentioned all of, all of our shootings in this country. So what if a person who has a gun comes into our assembly and wants to shoot the place up? I mean, I have even heard a lot of churches say that, that we need to arm as many of our members as we can. We need to absolutely stand up to these people and shoot back at them. And you can re react to that any way that you want to. But anytime I've ever been asked what I would do if a person wanted to kill me or to shoot me, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, listen, I wanted out of this world five years ago. If anybody wants to you know, shoot me, I don't want to fight you. I want to kiss you on the lips. Because you would be doing me the biggest favor. In, I mean, why would I grovel on my hands and knees? Oh, please, please, don't make me go to heaven, please. Listen, man, I'm ready to go. I'm all right with eating a bullet for Jesus. How about you? And yet, regardless of what it is, I mean, as, as Winston Churchill said so long ago, I've had many troubles in this life most of which never even happened. And that's what worry is. Worry is, is a complete waste of the human imagination. Worry is the demented theater of the mind. And Jesus over and over again is saying, do not worry, I've got you. Last of all, what he recommends is, what he says is, is psychologically exists in the presence of Jesus Christ. Or in other words, what he says in verse 33, I believe it was, is, is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. In the late 1920s, when the stock market crashed, there are stories about very wealthy people who were leaping to their debts out of skyscrapers and high rises. Why? That's what happens when it's discovered that a person's treasure was the treasures of this world, that it just failed them. But if the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ is all that we are living for, if heaven is our mindset, eventually Jesus' peace is going to start making its way into our hearts. And there's one person who we read about in Scripture who... who above any other person other than, than Christ, exemplifies this so beautifully. A person whose entire, his demeanor was at the beach. It was at, at the park. And that is Stephen. Stephen has all of these, these false accusers approaching him. And what we read in the book of Acts is, I mean, as all of these, these false accusers are trying to put him to death, his life is in jeopardy. Acts 6 and verse 15 says, In fixing their gaze on Stephen, notice all who were sitting in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And so we've got all of these false accusers standing before Stephen, and they are trying all to drive him to an angry, defensive, emotional response. But what do they get instead of that? In the blink of an eye, all of a sudden they are looking into the face of an angel. That word 
gaze in the original language means to be fixated. It means that you stare intensely at something in a way that is frightening you. That's because any time a person was in the presence of an angel, there was a traumatic experience where there was just this ghostly aura about it. This very chill-inducing, mesmeric awe that it captivates you by. They look at Stephen, and Stephen is just blazing with heavenly tranquility. I mean, for all of our longtime members at this congregation, just, just imagine if those doors were to open right now this very second. And Lon Mahundra walked in and sat down right next to you and looked you in the face. Lon Mahundra has been dead for nine or ten years now. I mean, I never met the man, but, but just giving this hypothetical is covering me with a blanket of chills. This was what it was like as they looked into the face of Stephen. This was how eerie that that would have been. Where in this very emotional moment, Stephen is, is arrested by this strange calm. And his demeanor re resembled that of an angel. And yet the question I want to ask us this morning is, what if this was not some superhuman power God gave to just this one person, just this one instance? What if this is what it looks like for a person to fully let the peace of Jesus Christ rule and reign in their hearts? I believe that this is possible even for a person like me and for you where we meet very stressful experiences and circumstances with this angelic composure, with this strange heavenly calmness, just unbothered, unbreakable peace, no matter what this world throws at us. And yet, you know, I think the one person who could teach really the greatest message about why we should not worry in this entire church is Amanda. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have, where my, my hair had been on fire about something, just worrying myself half to death. And Amanda's reaction to that was, you know, David, probably the reason why this, this keeps happening is because maybe God is waiting on you to respond to this kind of stuff calmly, faithfully, gently, and with peace in your hearts. And there's only been a few times that I've ever responded in that way. When I was at seminary, in the summer months, I was living on church support, and it was very low. A couple of months in a row, all I got was $100 one month, and the next month I got about $150. Well, my church did not know this, but I needed $830 that week for rent. And they had warned me. I mean, it was well overdue. And if I didn't have that money that afternoon, I would be evicted out of the apartment. So I get a support check that very day. And before I open it up, I, I pray and I say, God, if you have the full amount, I will praise you and I trust in you. And I thank you. But if this, this check does not have what I need to remain in this apartment and I get evicted, well, I'll just live out on the streets for a while. And I still thank you, and I still trust in you. And I opened up that envelope, and I, I fell to my knees on that check, 
$830 to the T. Now you might just say that's, that, that's just a coincidence. And yet I say that that is what happens when we trust God un unconditionally. Well, I was a minister at a church in Florida just before I came here, as a lot of you know. And, and on two weeks, a year and a half apart, a man and I did not have enough money to go to the grocery store and to have food that week. And so we prayed and we said, God, if it's your will that we have something to eat this week, we will trust in you and we thank you. But if we don't have any money this week and we can't eat all week long, we still praise you and we still trust in you. And on both of those weeks, on Sunday, there was an older woman who was a visitor both those weeks and, and on only those two weeks, a year and a half apart. And on both of those weeks of all weeks, she comes walking up to me afterwards both times, puts a $100 bill in my hands and walks away. You might say that's a coincidence, but I say that's God. Also, while I was at seminary, I, I was all worried at first about whether or not I would ever find a wife. And yet, I had the peace of mind and I prayed, God, if you have a woman in this world for me, bring her to me. I trust in you. Or if it's your will that I be single for the rest of my life, I still trust in you and I love you even more. And a week later, I am in a college class on a Wednesday night and I look and there's this redheaded girl from Florida with the most beautiful smile on her face. And she keeps staring at me. She wound up to be my wife. I believe that is God when we have a heavenly mindset that no matter what happens, I'm going to trust in you. But my question is, how can I constantly have this kind of peace in my heart? I mean, I only did it three times in my whole life. How can you always have a mind that is at the beach? Just as Jesus has said, this week, how we can experiment with this is when you feel worry creeping up, when you feel anxiety oozing inside of you and gurgling, leave that place, stop talking, stop thinking, and just watch birds in the park. Or watch, watch footage of an ocean on YouTube and make that your mindset. Now, secondly, when anxiety rises up in you, just remember Stephen. Make heaven the one and only thought on your mind and you will see incredible changes in your, in your demeanor. I close with this thought this morning. It was about a year ago, I was having a conversation with, with, with um, our elders and I'm at a table with, with Jerry and, and I can't remember what it was, but I was all worried about something. And Jerry looks at me and he says, You know, there really is no use about worrying about tomorrow, about what may or may not happen in the future. All that we can really do is live in this moment right now, because after all, that is all that we have been given. That's all we've got. And ever since, that has stayed with me for over a year now. And now I am consciously looking for the ecstasy in every moment. And in the rare instances when I've remembered to actually do this, I am noticing that if you look close enough, no matter what the circumstance is, you're going to find the ecstasy in that moment.
when our minds are perpetually at the beach, at the park, or in heaven, this world is going to be gazing at our demeanor and at our confidence and at our, our freedom from worry in Jesus Christ. Just as the Sanhedrin gazed upon the face of Stephen, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. I've got you, I'm with you, and I'm not going anywhere. Let us live in this way. Let's pray. God's boy, click. Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. That one.